It Takes a Village, a podcast of Healing Hands International based out of Nashville. My name is Taryn Foster, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mark Gent. Hey, Mark. Hey, Taryn. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Awesome. Here we are again, recording another episode. This is fun. So, hey, for those of you who are listening for the first time, uh, well, first, welcome. Thanks for joining us on It Takes a Village, and uh, we'd encourage you, we're a few episodes into this new venture now, and just to go back to the beginning and listen to the first few episodes, and you can find out m- more in who we are, what we do is Healing Hands International, but then you can also listen to our first few guests and find out what this is all about. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe to whatever podcast platform you listen to. And uh, you can always be notified when our new episode comes out every couple of weeks. Yeah. So Taryn, tell us what we have in store today. So today we're having on Dave Clayton. He is a minister at Ethos. Um, and he's one of the people that we're trying to target in our, in our four sectors that I want to explain again. Firstly, we, we want to target people at Healing Hands office, um, people I work with, and then we have our international partners that we, we reach out to that help us out a lot, um, and then also people in the local nonprofit scene uh, so we can kind of hear their story and see how we can reach out to them and connect with them. And then we have our ministers, so our listeners can connect to different churches in the area as like a really good resource. Yeah, and that's a great way to describe it, a resource. And that's really what we want this podcast to be about. Um, Whoever is listening, um, wherever you are, we hope that this is just a way to encourage you, encourage you in your walk, and uh, something that maybe you can tell a friend about and uh, if you hear mm-hmm. something that inspires you. so Yeah, so tell us tell us about Dave. So Mark. as you mentioned, Dave Clayton's our guest today. Dave uh, is a longtime friend. We've known each other for about 20 years, but Dave is the church planter and founder and uh, lead teaching minister at Ethos Church here in Nashville that um, was started in about 2009. And he and his wife, Sydney, along with several others, started Ethos. Um, I'm really looking forward to what he has to say today. He has uh, comes from a uh, ministry family, as his dad was, was a minister and is still in ministry. Uh, just he has a lot of great uh, experience uh, for somebody um, his age, uh, as he turned 40 this year, and he uh, just has a, a great humble spirit about him, and has a great way to reach out to people and help them get to know Jesus better or uh, introduce them to Jesus for the first time. So I think that'll come out in today's episode as we uh, get to know our friend Dave Clayton. So here is our interview with Dave Clayton. Hey, Dave, welcome to It Takes a Village, man. So glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Taryn. Great to meet you. Great Great to to meet you. So Dave is the uh, is a church planner, founder of Ethos Church here in Nashville. He wears a lot of other hats with Onward and Awaken that we're going to hear about today. He's also an author and speaker across the country at churches and camps and conferences, just encouraging them in their walk with Jesus. And I'm just grateful. I've known Dave and his wife, Sydney, for about 20 years. We've got a friendship that um, uh, has run deep for a couple of decades now, and uh, it's really fun to walk through life and 
have our kids get to know each other. But uh, we've, uh, from football games to spades nights to waterfalls, uh, it's been a lot of fun. What a, rel- what a relationship. What, 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 what a friendship. Yeah, it oh. goes really deep. <laughs> I love it. It goes really deep. So, Dave, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself for the people who may be listening and uh, may not know who you are, but where you're from, your family, uh, your background, just so our listeners can know who Dave Clayton is. And, of course, tell us about your flip phone. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Man, what an intro. Um, Grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, for the most part. I've been in Nashville for about 20 years. Uh, Sydney and I, we got married 16 years ago, but we've been together uh, for about 20, uh, including dating and engagement and all of that. And we have three boys, Micah, Jack, and Judah, just the, the joy of our life. And so we love love those kids, fun season of life. And we get to to really lead in a variety of contexts. And so we have the, the local church work that we, we do. You know, about 12 years ago, we started and founded and give leadership to Ethos Church, which is a family of churches here in the city. And then we have our citywide network um, where we call churches together across all sorts of different backgrounds and denominations to, to pray together, to serve together, called Awaken. So we have several hundred churches in the city that come together uh, to do that. And then we have Onward, which is our global uh, family of leaders that, that make disciples and plant churches together. So uh, we love to invest in the next generation of leaders, train them up, send them out uh, all over the nation, all over uh, the world, really. And so it's fun. We get a, do a lot of different things in a lot of different spaces with some amazing people. And uh, we try to do all of it, uh, you know, in the context of relationship. And so I love, I love the name of this podcast. Uh, I love, you know, I kind of give you a hard time about, about our, our <laughs> friendship, but we found that's the way that actually almost all ministry happens. It happens in the context of friendship or of, of relationship. And so we feel so blessed. We get to do awesome things with amazing people uh, here in the city and way beyond. And so honored to get to be with you all. So no, it it uh, you, and you do community well, and you have you're leading others into that community and those friendships well, and uh, that's been evident by all those who have heard of and seen the impact of Ethos here in, here in our city. So you're involved in ministry in a lot of different avenues, but what about outside of work? What do you like to do? Oh man, uh, you know, right now it, it's really kind of like, what do my my boys want to do? Okay, and, and how do I jump into that? Yeah, but, you know, we, we love anything outdoors. My my boys right now are really into baseball and skateboarding and hiking and swimming. And if it's active and could get them hurt in some way, they probably want to do it. And so mm-hmm. I feel like a, a lot of my time and energy just goes towards trying to steward, you know, their energy. And, yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, I love weekly date nights with Sydney, and uh, mm-hmm. she and I love just adventuring together and hanging with friends, and, and so it's pretty simple right now, and I feel like my hobbies uh, involve around my family and kind of my close friends, and yeah. when I get older, I have more time for some of the other things that I, I love to do as well, but that's kind of the day-to-day. Okay. Yeah. I feel like I'd be exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like most days we get to the end of it, and we're like, man, that was awesome, and right. I am so ready to sleep. I'm just so, yeah. so tired, but it's just, you know, it's such a sweet but short window of life you know yeah. and so we're like how do we how do we go all in and, and mm-hmm. they're growing too fast they're 11 9 and almost 7 so okay so they're like yeah. wild yeah it's oh it's it's very yeah, yeah. really it's, it, they're amazing there's there's so much fun but they're all oh boy um i think in the last like eight months we've had three broken bones and oh and uh, it's just we laugh we meet our medical deductible every year by like march so really <laughs> Yeah. You walk into Vanderbilt Medical Center, the Children's Hospital, and they know you by name. Yeah, I, I literally, uh-uh. you know, that's that's a bit of an exaggeration. But last year, uh, I ran into a guy on the beach on family vacation. I'm like, I know this guy. 
where did I know this guy from? Mm -mm. And then I realized, I'm like, oh, you're the ER doctor. We've seen you three (laughs) times this spring. And so I went up and we made that connection. He immediately remembered, because that spring, one of our boys had been bitten by a snake and another had broken his leg and we had all Mm. these things. And and he's like, you've paid for my vacation. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Thanks for sending me to the beach. Yeah. And so (laughs) we we had a good laugh. It's kind of a fun connection. It's so funny. Yeah. So how do you unwind though? Like, do you have any ways that you do that? Yeah, just in general, you know, in general, Sydney and I, we, we try to build our life, um, you know, with, with real purpose. And so what mm-hmm. I say is we, we try to build our life around some key rhythms that we live over and over and over. And so we talk in our family about our daily rhythms, our weekly rhythms, our seasonal rhythms, and our yearly rhythms. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's probably another podcast for another day. But what we have found is whenever we're living in the context of those rhythms, mm-hmm. uh, you can carry a lot of responsibility um, but not feel overwhelmed by it. And so, yeah. you know, like uh, on a on a daily basis, we have some real, we, ha- we have some things that we do intentionally mm-hmm. to both lean into the day well and to unwind from the day well. Um, mm-hmm. And so we have some habits that we put in, pra- in place every single day. And uh, we do that daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. And I'm not sure how far <laughs> down the rabbit hole you want to go. But, no, that's okay. But, but that's it's, awesome. it's part of the way that, um, that we unwind. Because what, I think what we found is, um, you know, hobbies are great, playing is great, but if, if you don't have some real purpose uh, to why you do what you do and how you do what you do, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's no amount of leisure that will help you uncoil from the responsibility that you have. And so mm-hmm. uh, really learning how to live that out um, with purpose has been really important yeah. for us. And so, yeah, that intentionality, I yeah. feel like, is very important. Yeah, just simple, simple habits that will fundamentally, uh, I think, change the way that we live. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, Mm-hmm. Is that what gives you energy too? Yeah, it's it's part of it. You know, in our house, all five of us are, are extroverts, um, and so we we tend to get energy from people. But the the challenge is when you have that many extroverts under one roof, we're all trying to get something on the calendar all the time. Mm-hmm. And so what we've found is we've actually had to really have a discipline of how do we structure our calendar um, before it just structures us. And so yeah. you know we've had to put some things in place, and we've really found you know those things give us life. Whether it's weekly Sabbath, which is just a, a key for us or a weekly date night or our morning routine around the, the breakfast table as a family or mm-hmm. our daily walks or some of these things that help us uncoil and connect and hear one another's hearts, you know, to get beyond the just, Hey, what'd you do today? Kind of moment. But yeah. like, how are you doing? Like, yeah. And uh, we found that to be really key for um, flourishing when a lot of stuff is coming your way. So, which can happen, mm-hmm. you know, for us, because when, <laughs> when you work across multiple um, kind of spheres, there's right. always something to be done. Always. Always someone Never that, ending. that needs you and just going, okay, Lord, what do we say yes to, no to? When do we say, how do we do that? And those mm-hmm. rhythms have been really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've been uh, around ministry all your life and um, you're not a first, the first minister in your family. Talk about the impact that being a preacher's kid had on you growing up uh, yeah. then and even now. Because I've, I've just heard you talk so much about your dad and uh, I can just tell how much you look up to him and the impact that he's had on your life. But, uh, yeah, dig into that a little bit about that generational impact of uh, ministry and and growing up in church as a preacher's kid. Yeah, you know, I love my family. Never, I don't know what I thought I was going to do when I grew up, but I never really thought about, like, being a pastor. Um, You know, that just really wasn't on the radar. And so, uh, like a lot of kids, I don't think I knew how to appreciate what I had when I had it. Mm -hmm. But... When I went up to college and then in my early 20s, I really began to, to realize, it's like, oh my goodness, God's given me a treasure here in my family of origin. And so 
I feel like over the last decade or two, there's been all of this excavating that I've done to go, whoa, I saw this and this and this, I experienced this. And there's so much that I could talk about in the context of how my my parents shaped me. Um, but if I was going to boil it down to a soundbite, I would say I really respect their public ministry, but the thing that blessed me was their private life. Mm. And their private life was um, so much more significant even in their public facing work or ministry, which I, I think what I've realized as I've gotten older is how rare that is. I, I didn't realize that was a rare thing. And so, mm-hmm. you know, as I got older, I've encountered a lot of folks who grew up in homes where their parents were in ministry and that just wasn't the case. They had like this beautiful external ministry. And then at home, it was a totally different story. And mm-hmm. and I just had the benefit of, it's like, man, I respect what you do outside of the home. I respect what you do when you're up in front of people. Um, but I actually always felt like I was getting the best version of them. And in some ways, even I, even if I didn't know how to articulate it, I felt like the church was getting the lesser version. I'm like, man, if only you really knew them. If, if yeah. Not that they're perfect. You know, I don't want to paint this picture, you know, of it's not that it was perfect, but it was just good. It was genuine. It was it was real. And and I saw that just over and over and over. And so I think just the long term effect of being in that kind of context um, has really shaped the way that I think about ministry, because I go, you know, um, more than anything, my, my kids are not going to be shaped by my sermons or uh, they're, they're not going to really be shaped by what I do organizationally or publicly. It's going to be the day in, day out. Um, what did I do or not do around the breakfast table? How did I respond in that moment of, you know, discipline in the house? Uh, how did, was I present and engaged in all the small things, you know? And so um, I think that's probably the way that I've been most shaped by, um, like even now, like when we go home uh, to visit my parents, it's just, it is so clear that no matter what's going on in their world, like their priority is to be fully present with us. Yeah. Wow. And it's just amazing. And I realize I'm like, that's such a rare thing, yeah, you know, and is. to go, man, you are, your whole goal is just to be present with us. And, mm-hmm. and with every year I, I go, man, that's the gift. And so I think that's one of the things I've been most shaped by, yeah. you know, their, their life with God, their presence in the home, um, their, their genuine hearts being put on display for us as kids. And so I'm yeah. grateful for that. Yeah. It's evident. It's amazing. And you're, and you're, uh, you and Cindy are passing that on to your boys as mm-hmm. they see you minister and as they see you not only up front and at church, but as they, you know, as they see you as a dad, as a mom at home. Well, man, we hope it, it, I think it's one of the great tensions for us. We go, man, nobody can be good at everything. And so you just have to be, you have to choose what do I want to be good at? Who do I want to let down? And so one of the things that Sydney and I say often is let's just make sure we're disappointing the right people because, you know, th- there's no way you get through this without disappointing somebody. So let's make sure we're, we're disappointing the right people. And what does it look like to, you know, if we're going to be famous or admired, let's be famous and admired in our home, <laughs> you know, and I, I use that kind of tongue in cheek, not that we're after being admired or being famous, but I'm just going, if we're going to, if we're going to be people of, 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 um, you know, uh, of some sort of notoriety, it's like, let that be in our home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and uh, we can be hidden everywhere else, uh, but let's let's excel there. And so that's been kind of the the bullseye on the target for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all about relationships. Mm-hmm. I feel like it kind of made me think of influencers on like on Instagram or whatever. They have all these followers, but I'm like, how many people actually know you? You know? Uh, oh, and it's the loneliest place in the world. You see yeah. it in leadership all the time, where there is this there's this perception of knownness mm-hmm. you know yeah oh she's so real he's so real they share stories it's like you know they're so authentic but 
it's a pretty lonely place. You know, I think it's what you see with celebrities, what you see with leaders, uh, anybody that's in a public facing role. Mm -hmm. When you feel like the masses know you generally, but no one knows you specifically or uniquely. That's lonely. Oh my goodness. uh, People, people just dry up. And so I think, you know, you have to continually keep going, Hey, who am I moving closer to? Who am Mm -hmm. I, who am I being real with? And so Mm -hmm. I think it's important. Was there something that your parents kind of instilled in you? Like, a saying or like a scripture that they kept repeating that you remember or even just one scripture that you go to? Uh, you know, I don't know that they imparted a saying or a scripture. Um, that's not the thing that I remember. What I really remember was just watching the, the consistency of their life. And mm-hmm. so I'm um, watching my mom. I mean, when I think about my mom, uh, I think of her sitting in her chair with the word open and her notebook open where she takes notes. I think about that stack of notebooks by her chair where, I mean, uh, you know, one or two times a year she'll go through the entire Bible and she basically journals the whole thing and she just has stacks of these wow. notebooks. of, And and as a kid that always, like, really touched my heart because I thought, well, Dad's got to do that. He's a pastor, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And so he did that too and it was, it was encouraging. But watching my mom do it, I went, well, she, I mean. That's not her job. That's not her job. <laughs> and so something really stuck with me, you know, I think watching the way that they prioritized the Word of God, watching the way they prioritized us, um, it, it it gave what they said uh, a lot more weight and validity in our life um, mm-hmm. because there's congruency there. So mm-hmm. uh, that sticks out to me more than, you know, one moment or one phrase or one right one thing. Yeah. How has your perception of church or even religion changed yeah, since you, growing up? You know, I think one of my favorite phrases and pictures in scripture is just the, the picture of walking with God. Mm-hmm. Like it, as, as, being a description of what it means to be a, a child of God, a, a community gathered around God, is that it, it is a walk with God. It's what was happening in the garden, mm-hmm. you know. They walked with God in the cool of the evening. It's what happened with Enoch when it talks about, when it describes his life, it sums it up in one sentence. He began to walk with God. Like, I love that that picture. Yeah. It's what you see with so many of the great um, fathers and mothers of the faith. It's what you see with the disciples literally just walking place to place to place. And so I think one of the ways that it's matured is as as I've gotten older, I've just went, okay, this is not a thing that I, it's not a destination that I'm going to arrive at, that I'm going to figure out, that we're yeah. going to create and then just manage it the rest of our lives. You know, each morning we get to do what the disciples is. We wake up and it's Jesus, what do you have for us today? Mm-hmm. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Yep. Where are you going to lead? And I think the, uh, I think the more we mature, you know, I think spiritual maturity is the opposite in some ways of physical maturity. You know, when we think about physical maturity, it's moving from dependence on your parents to independence from your parents, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's the mark of physical maturity. Mm -hmm. I'm moving from total dependence to independence. I think the mark of spiritual maturity is the inverse of that. Mm -hmm. You move from thinking you're independent to being totally dependent. And, and so, um, the older, uh, hopefully the older I get, um, the, the more I need the Lord, um, mm-hmm. the more wisdom, the more direction I get, the, the, the more years of ministry I have under my belt, hopefully the less um, capable I will feel of doing anything of significance apart from the help of God. And so I think that's maybe what's shifting, uh, you know, um, slowly but surely is, hey, Lord, I need you. I want you. I want to walk with you. Um, take me wherever you want to go. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a pastor or a city leader. I'm a child of God. Use me however you want to use me. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you're a reader. Are you a reader? I love to read. Okay. Love to read. Yeah. Besides the Bible. Yeah. Of course. 
what are you reading anything right now? Yeah. Oh man. So right now uh, I'm reading several things. I'm always trying to work through a, a few kind of books in different spaces at the same time. But um, one of the ones that's just really grabbing me is, is it's a pretty dense book, but it's called the rise and triumph of the modern self okay. by Carl Truman. And I've uh, heard of it. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, so I've been, I've been reading through that. It's been, it's been really good. And then uh, a book that a friend of mine wrote called heart strong. I've been, been reading through that. It's been, uh, really encouraging and uh, just kind of stirring some things in me. And so there's been a couple of books that have quite literally been sitting on my nightstand. And then another one is called The Making of a Leader um, mm-hmm. uh, by Clifton, which has been good. So mm-hmm. those three have been uh, my most recent kind of what I'm chewing through mm-hmm. working on. So we touched touched on this earlier, but let's go back to it. You know, one thing that um, you are known for amongst your circle um, in, in your circle. I don't know friends. where this is going, but I'm curious what, what yeah. this thing I'm is. That I'm this is going to be, so this is like the greatest question of the whole podcast, but um, tell us about uh, your discipline of, and your desire to have a flip phone. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and I asked that really like, like seriously, like you, um, you, you made a very intentional decision several years ago and what, uh, yeah, I, I, I love that you have a flip phone and that it is a, it's a relic and it's useful, and it does what it needs to for you. And, uh, yeah, tell us about uh, wh- where you got to that point. But then, um, as you've talked about being present and engaged, how that has helped you in that discipline. Yeah, I'll give you the short version, and you all can kind of dive down wherever you want. But uh, probably about five years ago, you know, so at the time our boys were six, four, and two, um, the Lord just really... I think he was speaking to me in a variety of ways about just this truth that it is only possible to be present in the moment that you're in. Like, so no matter how much I wish I could relive yesterday, can't do it. Mm-hmm. No matter how much I wish I could get things ready for tomorrow, I can't. Mm-hmm. Don't even know that I'll have it. So the the only reality that I can live in is the the moment that I'm in. And yet so often, very few of us live in that moment fully. <laughs> you know, so a lot of us, we are regretting yesterday or we're worried about tomorrow or we're thinking about what's coming down the pike. Like even when you're sitting at lunch, you're not with the person that you're with. You're thinking about the next meeting or the next thing. And mm-hmm. so through a variety of ways, the, the Holy Spirit, he just kept prompting my heart and Hey, no matter what you think, you can only be where you're at in that moment. So just be all in. And so kind of through that, through that journey, um, w- one of the things that I felt like the spirit of God was dealing with me on was, was the way that I, allowed myself to be distracted in a whole lot of different realms. The phone is just the most obvious. It's the first thing that people notice, but uh, I was allowing myself to be constantly distracted. And so nobody was really getting all of me anywhere ever. And I think one of the things that that hit me was, you know, when I was a kid, I never had to compete for my parents' attention. Um, Oh, were you you an only child? No, no. I mean, like, I was never in a room going... Hey, hey, look at me, not the uh, phone. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it that was never, you know, we had, yeah, uh, it, it was, hey, you know, they're there with us. Dad's on vac, we're on vacation and like nobody gets a hold of them. Mm-hmm. You know, like that was the, that was the world I grew up in. And, and I just thought, man, that's, that's not true of this generation. That's not true of anybody. It's not true of husbands and wives or friends or kids. And so, anyways, long story short, I feel like the, the Lord is just inviting me to, to simplify, to disconnect. And so, yeah got rid of my phone, got, got off of some of the platforms that I was on, some of the things that I was doing and just tried to decide, Hey, what would it look like to just be all the way here? You know, I still need to be able to call people and still need to be able to be reachable to some extent, but I didn't want email and social media and, um, just, 
you know, scrolling the web, you know, just all of the things that were taking my energy. Um, and so it, you know, get, got rid of it, which was quite a, quite a task. I don't think I realized how, how dependent I was on it how connected addicted was maybe a better word. And then, um, but on the other side of it, uh, there's been so much freedom. There's been so much life, you know, just in terms of just in the day to day, just seeing people and, um, it's been pretty amazing. So, yeah, love it. That's wow. great. Yeah. Let's go to a dad question. Um, you <laughs> mentioned, uh, <laughs> Micah and Jack and Judah, three awesome energetic boys. I wish you would have gotten their names wrong. You know, after that intro about how good of friends we were, <laughs> <laughs> I wish you would have said one of their names wrong. <laughs> Let's talk about, uh, as parents for you in Sydney, um, just to raise boys in this culture, as you point them to Jesus and show them how to chase after the heart of God. What what advice do you have for parents? What does that look like for you in Sydney uh, to point your boys to Jesus in this culture, uh, to try to um, avoid the distractions, but yeah, help them chase after the heart of God? Yeah. You know, my first advice would be don't take it parenting advice from anyone that hasn't finished parenting. So <laughs> um, I wouldn't take Which, it from I wouldn't take it from me. Um but something that we're experimenting with that we're really wrestling with is, is how do we make sure we live in every moment with real intentionality? And several years ago, one of the things that God was just really stirring in our hearts and it really came um, in a place of conviction was I felt like the, the spirit of God was saying to us, Hey, you have clearer vision for your ministry than you do for your family. And this was, this was before we had kids even. And, and I thought, oh, that's that's right. You know, I have this real sense of where things need to go, and and I think what I've I've learned is a lot of us are trained to sort of think about our careers or our life, and we think you know with purpose and vision. But um, when it comes to what we're doing in the home, we just kind of wing it. <laughs> you know, it's for all of us, it's on the job training. You know, you you learn as you go, for better or worse. And so I think for us, it's just how do we how do we make sure we set aside time to create a vision for our family and to keep coming back to it um, over and over and over. So we set up some rhythms a couple of times a year. Sydney and I will get away for a day or two to just really ask God, hey, where are you leading our family? What do you have for our boys? What do they need in this season? How can we best give our time and energy? Uh, but a second practice that's been helpful is to just um, consistently dream about what we want life um, with our boys and for our boys to be like in 20 or 30 years. And so we like to imagine, okay, when they come back to our home and they're in their mid to late 30s and maybe they're married, maybe they have kids, when they come back into our home, what do we want our interactions with them to be like? What do we hope their walk with Jesus is like? What, like, how do we imagine that? And then what do we need to do today, you know, to to set that up? Because you're not just going to flip the switch, you yeah. know. It's not, you, you can't not talk about Jesus in your home for 20 years and then they come back as an adult and, hey, how's your life with God? You know, it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't work that way. So just really um, going, how, how do we give ourselves the space to think ahead and then to just intentionally take really small steps uh, toward that over and over and over? And so we think it's the long game, the long play. And we do it in community, as you know, yeah. um, uh, with your boys. And, you know, we think it really does take a village. It's part of the reason I love the name of this podcast is it takes a village. And so what we realized is if, if we raise our boys on our own and we don't bring our friends into that process and their friends into that process, chances are we won't have the impact we want to have on our kids because a moment's coming when I will not be the most influential man in their life. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, they'll look to their friends, they'll look to their friends, dads. And I'm like, so let me just go ahead and stack the deck in my favor. Let's, let's (laughs) build community around them. Let me put some men in their life, some women in their life that we trust 
so that when they want to turn outside of us, they turn to someone that we trust. And so that's what we're trying. Let, let's talk again yeah. in 10 years. See, yeah, see we'll how come back to that question. Yeah. yeah. So how did ethos get started? And I don't know how the name, where that came from either. Yeah. So about 13 years ago, I was working with college students. Sydney was a physical therapist and, and we're doing lots of different things. And just the, the simple thing is that God just began getting our attention with people in our life who, mm-hmm. who we loved, but they did not yet love Jesus. Mm. That's simple. You know, we had friends, we had family members, we had neighbors, we had coworkers, we had people that we loved who did not yet love Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we were burdened by that. And God started using that burden. And I think a lot of times that's where callings begin. He will, he will stir up a longing for a people, a people group. And, and for us, it really started with this kind of small little circle of people that were right around us that just didn't love Jesus yet. And so we didn't have this grand vision. We thought, hey, uh, let's open up our house. Uh, Sydney, you cook. She's a great cook. I'm a terrible cook. You cook. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll open up the scriptures. We'll figure out what Jesus is saying to us, how we'll live those out together, and then we'll serve uh, together in the city. And, and you know, our vision was honestly really small. We, we didn't know where it was going to go, what it was going to become. And, and the more we kept leaning into some of the simple practices, God just he kept stirring things up around us. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we, we actually had met as a church for six or seven months before we even had a name. You know, it was church at Dave and Sid's house, church in the park, church in the bar. You know, we, we were renting out a bar we still do in downtown Nashville uh, that we'd meet in. And and so people were trying to figure out, like, uh, what, what is this thing called? How do we tell our friends about it? And so uh, we, we came up with the name Ethos. And, uh, you know, what we'd say is, you know, uh, Jesus, he's our ethos. He is He is the... He is the one. He is the the one that defines our culture. That helps you understand how we think and how we act and how we move and how we. Um, mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. uh, we came up with the name over lunch pretty quickly. Wasn't this yeah. like? There's no great story behind it, but came mm-hmm. up with the name and stood up one Sunday and said, "Hey, here's what we're going to call it." And uh, everyone's yeah. like, "Okay." <laughs> and, yeah. And then we just kind of went from there. And so started uh, a little over twelve years ago. And so cool. a little Bible study and moved from our house to a park to a bar and then we started planting other churches and sending people out. And, yeah, it's been amazing. So the bar thing isn't really the norm. Like yeah, so, we've heard. <laughs> so we've heard. I don't heard. know if you know this, but yeah. normally you don't have church in a bar. So yeah. how did that, like, how does that work? Yeah, it, it's funny looking back on it. It was the most natural thing ever. But now yeah. you look at it and it's like, oh, it's kind of strange. You know, for <laughs> us, so before we um, felt called to plant the church, I was working with college students. And what I would do every year, I would I would tap 10 to 12 guys on the shoulder and say, hey, can we walk in a discipling relationship together? And and one of the main focuses was me trying to help them figure out how to live out their faith on the college campus. And so one mm-hmm. of the questions I asked that first group of guys the first year was, hey, where do you find it the most difficult to live out your faith? And they said, you know, we're, we're in college, and so a lot of our friends are, you know, they party pretty hard, and mm-hmm. they're in a variety of environments that are just difficult to to." live like Jesus in. And so we want to figure out how to do that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I said, okay, <laughs> it's kind of an audacious moment, but I said, Hey, I'll teach you how to live boldly for Jesus in dark places. And, yeah. and so we started doing this thing where I would disciple guys and, you know, on Thursday and Friday nights, I would take them downtown and we'd go to, we'd go to different nightclubs or bars and I'd show them how to have natural conversations in, una- in unnatural places. And then, oh. and then I'd say, now, Hey, you go out and do that in your context. And so we'd practice together and send them out and, uh, you know, I'd take them on a mission trip at the end of the year. It's kind of like the pinnacle. We'd go down to um, MTV Spring Break, which used to be a big thing, you know, uh, yeah. down in Panama City. And, and just go, how do you how do you live out your faith? Like be a genuine witness to Jesus in the midst of this. And so uh, when 
when the call from God came to plant a church for us, we thought, Hey, we, we want to, we want to gather in places that, um, non-Christians feel comfortable in that they, that they know that they're in on a regular basis. So Mm -hmm. when they walk in, they don't immediately feel like they're on, you know, somebody else's turf. Yeah. And the reality is they know they're coming to church. And so they already feel like they're on somebody else's turf, but just going, how do we remove any of those barriers? And so we wanted to find places where a friend could say, Hey, we're meeting, you know, at the cannery or the mercy lounge or marathon music works. And, and their friends would go, Oh yeah, I was there last week, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they're, there'd be this instant sense of, oh, I understand that space. And so it's, it's a pretty simple decision that's really served us well. Yeah. And I always tell people, we're not married to that. It's not like, but it's it's been a really effective way to, to reach mm-hmm. people. But you've been there for how long now? Uh, 12 years. 12 years. Yeah. yeah, week-to-week lease, which is fun. You know, we don't own any buildings, any property. It's a, wow. just a, hey, one week at a time and wow. trusting God in yeah. it. Yeah, so. and they kept you around. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess y'all are y'all are friends. The, the oh, people yeah. that yeah, they're amazing. It's owners. it's been really that's a whole other story of how God has just been. You know, he he uh, on the mission field, the term is he gives you a person of peace. You know, maybe mm-hmm. somebody that doesn't share your belief system, mm-hmm. but for some reason they open up their resources and their community and their arms to you, even though they know who you are and what you're about. Mm-hmm. And so you know, the guys that that own the spaces we meet in across the city. Um, you know, we don't share the same belief system or value system, but God has really made them people of peace for us where, um, man, they, they trust us. We trust them. Uh, we love them. They love us. We're, yeah. we're working for their benefit and, and vice versa. And so it's been, been a neat partnership. And uh, we, we trust God doing something in the middle of that still. Yeah, that's very cool. Wow. Yeah, and today Ethos, um, you know, looks it's grown so much over the last twelve years, going from just you know meeting in the church and in the park and you know one service, and then we got three different campuses and uh, two three thousand people that are part of that church body. But through that, there have been a couple of other ministries that have um, come out of Ethos that you pour a lot of your time and energy into in Onward and in Awaken mm-hmm. that are just as much the part of the DNA of Ethos as anything. Mm-hmm. Talk to us and t- tell our listeners a little about about each one of those. Um, yeah, you know, so Onward, you know, several, five or six years ago, as the church was continuing to grow, and we were wrestling with, okay, what's the next, like, what do we do? Like, you know, do we... Do we go out and build a building? Uh, do we find a larger space? Do we, And just to be really clear, you know, we're not against any of those things. We just did not sense that's what God was inviting us into. And so we really felt like the Lord was calling us into a moment of mobilizing and sending people as opposed to just gathering. And we thought, well, how are we going to do that? So we've got to train. We've got to disciple leaders to, to go out and to, to reproduce, not the vision that God's given us, but you know, the vision that he's uniquely put in him. And so Onward is the the space that we do that very practically. Every year we'll invite between 10 and 20 leaders uh, to come into a, a mentor, uh, mentoring or discipling relationship with us. And and we help just train them to, to be sent out to start new churches. Sometimes those churches are really large. Sometimes they're really small. Sometimes they're in you know, pretty unconventional places, and sometimes they're in pretty conventional places. But the the main thing is, how do we how do we train and send people out to do this? And so, um, that's been really fun. We've been doing that about five years, and like I said, it's just kind of small, ten or twelve people at a time, sometimes twenty uh, max. But um, it's been fun to watch God just just spread um, spread that out all over the place now. And then 
uh, awaken is, you know, part of what we feel called to as a church is we believe um, so much of the things that happen in the life of a church, like the really good things that happen in the life of a church are birthed out of a place of prayer and fasting. And so you're part of our church. You know that, you know, every year we give large portions of our time and energy as a church to just praying and fasting, seeking the heart of God, the presence of God, the will of God for the city. And so um, that's not super common in a lot of American circles, but um, we just take that really seriously. And so a few years ago, we thought, man, we've got to We've got to invite others into this if we want to see a real move of God in our city. So we started calling other churches together uh, to pray and fast and uh, with us uh, in the city. And so, you know, it's been amazing. Hundreds of churches have jumped in, and now, um, so we have this network in the city. And then beyond that, we've helped other cities start this, and several other countries have started this. And so we give we give some vision and leadership to that as well. Yeah, and talk a little bit about that. I mean, there's been so many stories that have come out of uh, both of those, but let's go to Awaken. Um, Last year, right before the pandemic hit, is when, you know, had the largest movement of of Awaken Nashville with so many churches and so many thousands of people part of it. Tell us, is there a story that stands out to you of either discipleship, people coming to faith, uh, leadership, of those who who are going through that month of prayer and fasting? But little did they know on the other side of that was going to be this worldwide pandemic right. that <laughs> shut the world down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have so many stories. It, you know, is is amazing because that month of prayer and fasting um, was in February 2020. And we wrapped up at the last on the last day of February. And 10 Whoa. days later, everything, everything shut down here in the city of Nashville. So um, I think it was fascinating, you know, during that time we had over 700 churches in the city that were part of it. We had over a thousand churches across the state that were part of that with us. And for 30 straight days, the people that were participating in that, um, we had challenged them to identify eight people that they saw on a daily basis where they lived, worked, or played. So maybe as a neighbor, maybe as a coworker, maybe somebody's at the gym or, you know, identify eight people and for 30 days pray that God would show up in a big way in their life. And so it was fascinating that we did that for a month and then 10 days later, everything shut down and all of a sudden most folks were confined. And this was so amazing to me. If you remember kind of in, in the height of the pandemic here in Nashville, the city came out and said, we want you to do life with no more than groups of eight. Mm-hmm. And so it was the rule of eight. Oh. And from a oh. spiritual perspective, I'm like, man, God, that's crazy. We just spent two months, you know. Yeah. And here the, the city has come out and said, hey, we want you to live with the rule of eight. And so we really saw God doing something there. What was fascinating was we kept getting all of these stories about people who would, they'd been praying for someone during that month. And then all of a sudden they had an opportunity to serve them, to connect mm. with them. Uh, you know, I, I think about uh, one woman in particular who had been praying for her neighbors and had didn't have any breakthrough during the month of prayer and fasting. But in the middle of the pandemic, she started going around and each week just asking her elderly neighbors, hey, I'm going to the grocery. Uh, would you like me to pick up groceries for you? Mm. And God just started moving through that. You know, she'd been praying for them. So now they're on her radar. Mm-hmm. She'd been praying that God would open up an opportunity. She sees this really simple in, you know, just a, just a, a young mom with young kids. She's going to the grocery anyways. And she just started doing the, the, the weekly, what's what's the list? What do you need me to pick up for you? And and God's really used that in, in their neighborhood. And, uh, you know, there's stories of people coming to faith and um, all, all kinds of stuff. But I love the simplicity of, of that one. 
Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute with the pandemic, both then and now, um, because we've all been walking through this together now for about 15, 16 months. But uh, from the seat that you sit in as a leader of a church and, and, and of, um, you know, that has an impact on these different ministries, how did the pandemic affect you personally? And how did it impact the church? How did it impact ethos? Um, as you, you know, sit, sitting here now, as you look back on that? I think my most honest response is I don't know. <laughs> if, if I'm just being really candid, I don't know that we'll know for a while what it's really done. Um, I think from the current moment in, in time that we're sitting, I look at the last 15 months, and I believe it's been a, a huge disruption. And disruptions can bring about both positive and negative realities. And so I think there's some ways that the disruption of the last year has, you know, really revealed some of the places where we as people have put our priorities. And, and I think that revelation can be a good thing. It's like, oh, I have misplaced priorities here. Let's, let's adjust, you know. Uh, it can be a good thing where you go, oh, we're strong here. Uh, and I think it's been true. I think it's been true in churches, in the nonprofit sector. I think it's been true in the education uh, sphere. I think, I think what we've seen in societies, there's been this major disruption. And I think the question is, what do we do with the revelation that we've had in the midst of that disruption? And so I think there's real opportunity um, for us you know, as, as church leaders, as followers of Jesus, um, to say, hey, let's be really honest. You know, there's this temptation, I think, sometimes to, to live with this, like, kind of veneer of, you know, like, hope. And, and hope is great, but a veneer of hope is not very helpful where you just go, it's all fine, we're all good, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's something really important, and Mark, you probably remember, because of where our churches meet in bars, uh, we went you know, 14 months without being able to meet in person at all, which was crazy. Like, and that's not good for anybody. Like, um, that was a really tough season. Um, yeah. uh, you know, we still saw God at work in the midst of it, but it's hard emotionally, spiritually, relationally, physically to, to go that long. Like, I think, I think there'd be something really problematic if you went that long without being with people and you thought, oh, I didn't miss it. Like, you know, and yeah. so um, that was a really, really hard stretch. And we've only been back in person about two months now. And, you know, I think one of the things that we're really wrestling with is, is how do we take what we've learned in that season and lament what was lost, celebrate what was gained, and now take new ground? And, and so that's really what we've been in the process of as, as a church family. And, and, I, and I, I feel a lot of hope, like yeah. truly, for the future. Um, but, man, it was a hard year. It was a really tough yeah. year uh, on, a, on a lot of different levels. And, and I don't think we're through the implications mm-hmm. of it. Um, by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think it is a moment for the church. Uh, you know, if I was just going to give a word to church leaders, I think we have to avoid the tendency of going, how do we get back? You know, I, I hear mm-hmm. a whole lot of like, oh man, you know, how do you get back to the same attendance that you had before the pandemic? Or how do you get back to the same feel? And I'm just not sure that God's interested in getting us back. I think he's interested in calling us forward. And there's probably elements from the past that he's going to bring into the future. But if we're so focused on getting back to something, we'll probably miss the opportunity to step into something new. And so um, for us, that's really been the, like, how do we, how do we just recognize what's been revealed in the midst of this disruption and let God lead us into the future? Yeah. And so. Mm-hmm. Especially for a house full of extroverts. I feel like that was hard for y'all oh, in the yeah. pandemic. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, we love big groups, and so mm-hmm. that, was, that was tough. But one of the things that we did in the midst of it was we have a lot of kids in the neighborhood, and yeah. most days those kids would meet in our front yard at 10 a.m., and they'd go for a bike ride together, and they'd mm-hmm. set up picnics in the front yard. And so we just thought, 
hey, you know, we can't do what we usually like to do, but let's let's just make the best of it. And so, yeah. 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 And we look back and we can think about, um, you know, all the different challenges that we face, both personally, professionally at work, but even, you know, within the church. And th- then we can also peel back the layers of the onion and see the victories. Mm-hmm. And we can see where God was at work um, had that not happened. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. as you look back to that time, for yourself and for your church and for ethos, what were some of those victories that, um, that you can now see that you wouldn't have thought about before we just went through our first pandemic of our (laughs) lifetime? Yeah. You know, I think if you would have told me before it happened that we would go more than a year without being able to see each other, Mm -hmm. um, I think I would have expected the, the damage and the impact have been far more severe. And so, you know, even now, like when I just gather on a Sunday, I look around and go, man, God, you're amazing. Like, look at all these people that really love you. They, they really love each other. Like, um, they, have, they have held together through thick and thin. I, I think you learn what's inside of you only when you're crushed, mm. when you're pressed. And I think, I think one of the real beauties of the last year is we really got, I mean, not just our church, like as humanity, we got squeezed. And, and you get to see what comes out in the squeezing. And, and so I think one of the real victories was there's a lot of good stuff that just came out um, that, yeah. that we saw in people's hearts that I don't know that we would have been able to see in the midst of just a normal like moment. And mm-hmm. so I'm just like supremely grateful for that. I'm grateful for the flexibility, the adaptability that our people demonstrated, the faithfulness, um, even just little things like, you know, we've always been, a you know, for the last 10 years, we've been a real praying church. It's been a part of who we are, but there's a whole stretch in the pandemic where um, literally the only thing we did Every single morning at 7 a.m. and every single night at 9 p.m., uh, people got online together and prayed. And mm-hmm. and it happened every day. And it sounds crazy, but it was the most kind of like Acts 2 moment that I'm like, here we are in one another's homes just praying and calling mm-hmm. out to God. And, and it was so genuine and pure and simple and has so much life on it. And, and a lot of little beautiful things like that happened in the midst of we would have never thought of that uh, had the pandemic not happened. Dave, for somebody who's listening who might not be a person of faith um, or for people who are listening who are looking for ways uh, to reach out to those who are not people of faith, how do you go about showing Jesus to people? I think there's two sides of it. Um, I think, you know, the way that Sydney and I talk about it is there's demonstration and declaration, you know, so there's an aspect of it that just comes with how do we, how do we demonstrate the life of God? In other words, how do we how do we live the type of life that stirs up holy curiosity in people where they go, oh man, what, what is that? You know, mm-hmm. I, I want that. And I'm not saying we do that well or perfectly. I'm saying that's a goal is going, how do we demonstrate the life of God uh, in such a way that people go, hey, we want to follow. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think when it comes to, to demonstrating faith, that's, that's, that's half of it. And, you know, the way that we say is we think you demonstrate faith in kind of three ways, you know, in the way that you serve people. And so like, when you see the needs of their life and you just show up for duty, you, you meet the needs of their life because you love them, you care about them. And I think serving is, is a really practical, easy way to demonstrate the life of Jesus, the heart of Jesus towards somebody. Uh, another way is not just service, but um, what we would call a subversive living where you, where, where you live a life that is so so different, so counter than the life around, like the way you, you parent, the way you date, the way you live as friends amongst friends, the way you uh, do your job, you know, uh, you live in a, such a way where people go, that's different. That that subverts the way that I think about the way that 
a young 20-somethings acts now. Or that's the, that subverts the way I think about, you know, how you parent or what you do, et cetera, et cetera. And then the last way that we think about demonstration, it's not just service or subversion, but it's just supernatural. And, you know, that's probably a whole other conversation for another day, but we believe there's all of these moments where, where you will see something in a person's life that only God can deal with. And you have the opportunity to, to, to step into that and to invite the Spirit of God to do what only God can do. And so a, a very practical example of this would be we have, we have some neighbors who are not followers of Jesus, and, um, and the wife was battling cancer. And we thought this is a moment for us to just consistently with them invite the supernatural power of God into their life to do what only God can do. And so, you know, we can, we can serve them. We can, you know, bake them cookies and bring them mm-hmm. dinner, and we can live lives that are um, different. Uh, but there's this supernatural element where, hey, we're just, can we pray for your healing? Can we, can we pray that, that God would defy, you know, the, um, the, the prognosis that you've been given? And so I think there's these moments of, of demonstration. I think it's part of the way that we show our faith or um, show others Jesus is through demonstration. And then the other part's through declaration. You know, how do we, how do we use our words? How do, we, how do we articulate what God has done in us, what we see God doing around us, and what we long to see God do in them? And so it's, it's how do you share? How do you, how do you demonstrate? And and so part of that's with our story and our testimony. And some of it, this sounds so old school, but I'm just telling you, it works. Just in inviting people to get into the scriptures with you and to just look at the life of Jesus. And so I so practically tell people, hey, if you have someone that's genuinely, genuinely interested in, in seeking Jesus, just pick one of the Gospels and sit down and read through it together and to ask the question, what is the questions, what is God showing you about himself? What is God showing you about you and what step of obedience is he calling you to take? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and we've just found like when you sit down, you open the scriptures and you just ask those questions over time with no pressure, just with love. Um, man, God moves in that. And mm-hmm. you don't have to have all the answers. I have to have it all figured out. It's not a formula, but demonstration, declaration. Yeah. Sometimes we make it overly complicated. Oh, yeah. And, and I think sometimes we're so um, worried about having the right thing to say, we say nothing, or doing just the right thing, we do nothing, and and we're just going, hey, we're trying to trust the Holy Spirit in this to, to show up and <laughs> make up for all of the messes we're going to undoubtedly make. Yeah, that's really good. I have a few friends that aren't Christians, so that's helpful, because I feel like sometimes I'm like, I don't have the words, mm-hmm. and I don't have the authority. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not a preacher. I'm not, like, someone who knows the Bible, like, really, really, really well, you know? Yeah. So it's it's good to hear that it's a lot more simple than yeah. sometimes it, we think it is. And I love the promise that Jesus makes in Acts chapter one verse eight. He says, "I'll give, I'll, I'll give you the Holy Spirit, and He'll give you power to be my witnesses mm-hmm. in all the places you go." And you think about the difference between, like, in in a courtroom, there's a difference between, uh, you know, a witness and an expert. Like, you know, yeah. you bring in an expert who didn't see what happened at the crime. They just know the forensics and they tell you about it. The witness, you know, they don't have to know any of the details. They just come in to say, here's what I saw. Here's what I felt. Here's what I know. And he says, I'll give you power amongst your friends and your family and your neighborhood. Like, I'll give you power to articulate what you've seen God do in your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it, he doesn't promise that he'll give you, he'll make you an expert or give you everything you need to know to answer every question. That's not your job, but to have the power to to articulate here's what Jesus is doing in my life and yeah. um, that's the promise and so I think um, that's been really helpful for me because yeah. so many of my friends are smarter than me and <laughs> uh, you know it's like I I'm, 
I don't know what to say, but mm-hmm. I can I can tell you what I've experienced, what I've seen, what I see in the word, and yeah, just very practical about yeah. it. Doesn't have to be poetry. Yeah, yeah. So one time you said, I heard you say, God is in the details. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that kind of? Yeah, you know, I've probably said that in different ways, yeah. me- meaning different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, I, I really believe that. You know, so often the, the phrase is the devil's in the details. You know, that's what we've yeah. heard. That's what people say all the time. And and I actually go, you know what? I, I think God's in the details. Mm-hmm. And that he's he is deeply interested in the things that we often write off as being insignificant. Mm-hmm. And and when we pay attention to him, it's kind of the, we were joking around earlier about my phone. You know, <laughs> it's like he's interested in the details of your life. He wants you to know him. He wants you to he wants you to live right in the in the sweet spot of who he's made you to be and what he's called you to do. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think for for us, it's been a really important kind of framework to go, hey, we actually believe that that God is paying attention to the small things, um, that he's orchestrating things in ways that we don't understand. Even if we don't understand them, he's He's in them. And so how do we, how do we live in such a way that we expect him to show up and meet us there? Um, and so that's been, that's been, we've seen that in a whole lot of different aspects of life and ministry, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, when we were trying to mobilize the city to pray and fast, and mm-hmm. we had to make some really detailed decisions about uh, how do we get all of these people moving together, and we don't know if they're going to do it, and we're like, Lord, we need you to tell us the exact number of mm-hmm. packets to order and mm-hmm. of people to mobilize and things to do. Like, we, we need to trust you with those kinds of details because there's no way we can know them, and what we've what we found is time and time again, when we invite God into those spaces, we discover he's actually already there waiting yeah. to lead. And, uh, and so yeah. that's been really freeing for us. Mm-hmm. Just got to ask. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes, uh, just be clear, it, it, it doesn't seem like he's answering. <laughs> and yeah. It's sort of like, okay, how do we wait until we know what to do? But mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so in 2021, in today's culture, in the middle of injustice, the rise of poverty, and things just being messy. Can you tell us about the challenges you face as a church planter uh, and a lead pastor? You know, I think, I, th- I don't know if this is just unique to our moment mm-hmm. um, or to my role, um, but I think in this moment, I think one of the greatest challenges is most people are not interested in talking with one another. They just want to talk at one another. And there's uh, so many... Yeah mediums that have made it really easy to talk at each other without mm-hmm. ever talking with each other. And yeah. so I think one of the biggest challenges for us is how do we continue to get people in spaces where they can feel and hear one another's hearts mm-hmm. and not just catch the headlines and not mm-hmm. just catch the because something amazing happens when you sit at a table and y- and you break bread and and you realize man we you know even even when we have a lot of differences Mm-hmm. You know, there's something happening here. Like there's yeah. something happening here. And how do we, how do we engage in that? And, and so I think that's been one of the biggest challenges is, is helping people move beyond just, you know, um, we live in a moment where everybody wants to, to kind of publicly publicize their thoughts on every issue, whatever the issue may be. Yeah. And and we tend to believe that just because we've made a statement, we've made a difference. And it's not true. No. <laughs> making a statement is not the same as making a difference. And mm-hmm. so really trying to move people beyond the work of just making statements and going, how do we, how do we, um, in humility, get around a table um, so that God can show up here and a real difference can be made. And, and I think that work's going to become increasingly uh, more challenging um, mm-hmm. and for a whole lot of reasons, but I think it's what we're called to. And so 
Yeah. I love that at the center of Christianity is a table, you know, yeah. with, with it's all about a bre- table. bread and the wine. And mm. uh, it's a, it's a table that doesn't belong to us. We've been invited to uh, by mm-hmm. the grace of Jesus. And so it gives me a whole lot of hope and comfort um, that we get to come to that table over and over. So, mm-hmm. so Dave, just closing out the name of the podcast is it takes a village and it um, something that we kind of live by in the office there at Healing Hands uh, amongst the people that uh, we walk alongside in life and people that we serve. And uh, it's obvious just, I mean, having known you for a long time, but even hearing it today, the ethos just has a large local and global community that makes up its village that we've talked about. Um, and like, but for you personally, uh, where does that village, uh, who's that village for you? But then I think also who, who have been some of the mentors in your life who have shaped and molded you in the man you are today? Yeah, you know, I think a common phrase it, that you hear in a lot of different circles is that leadership is lonely. And it certainly can be. But one of the things that we try to say often is it, it doesn't have to be. You know, so leadership certainly can be lonely, but it doesn't have to be. And that requires us uh, when you're in any role of leadership to, to put yourself in places to, to be known, um, to be let down, disappointed, hurt, <laughs> you know, betrayed. It's like all of those things, like in order for there to be love, there's got to be the opportunity for loss, for hurt, for pain, for all of that. And so what we've tried to do, I mean, even just in all of the different realms that we've lived in, you know, Sydney and I from day one, we said, if, if this church that we're serving can't be our place of community, then we don't want to get into this. Like, you know, we've got to be able to, you know, live really authentically. Um, and I think by the grace of God, you know, all of our closest friends are within the church. And it doesn't mean we don't have close friends outside of it, but, you know, it's our people. We mm-hmm. we love our people, and we feel like they love us, and we feel like they love us way beyond what we do. You know, it, I really feel like if, if I change what I was doing tomorrow, it wouldn't impact my friendship with you at all. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be scared to tell you that, you know. In fact, you'd be one of the guys that I'd process that with, and and so, uh, you know, I think having, I think having on the ground friends, brothers and sisters that, that really are all the way in that know you, you can't do that with everybody simply because of capacity, but you can do that with somebody. And so, you know, like in a family, you have people that are above you, beside you, below you, you know, you, you have parents, you have siblings, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. and so I think in our context, it's like, okay, who are the people that, that we are under their authority, you know, so mentors and elders and, and, and folks that we go, hey, we're submitting to you. And how, how are we known to those that we're under? How do we have brothers and sisters that we run to side that we're known to? And then how do we have spiritual sons and daughters that, that we're known to? And so I think in each of those buckets, uh, there's there's a list of people that both Sydney and I would put. Um, but it's been really key. It's given us so much life. Um, you know, as as we just continue to journey with, with the Lord, we, we go, it really does take a village. And we laugh, you know, it's in seasons of hardship, you know, where you learn the strength of your village. And so, you know, something happens and everybody shows up and you go, okay, here they are. But, um, but it's worth it. So. Yeah. So if anyone is listening, is looking for a church home, how would they get involved with ethos? How do you, yeah, you know, up to, uh, up to date info, ethoschurch.org. Okay. I think in this moment where everything's changing all the time, Mm -hmm. it's the easiest way to just find out when we're meeting, where we're meeting, what we're doing, ethoschurch.org. Follow us on socials. And um, and what I'd say is when you show up, there's going to be lots of opportunities to to move from ambiguity mm-hmm. uh, to community, to move yeah. from being on the edge to, to being in the middle of what's happening. And so don't just come and watch, jump in, be a participant. 
Uh, it's mm-hmm. pretty clear how to do that when you get there, and we'd love to help you. Yeah. Well, what about what about awaken and onward too? When does awaken happen? I forget. Uh, if you yeah. Said so that. typically, it happens in Nashville in the month of February. Okay. okay. So cool. we'll see. You know, we just kind of take every year, year at a time. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, let, let the Lord lead us on that, and then. Uh, but you can find out more at awakennashville.com. Okay. And you can find out more about Onward if you're interested in planting churches or uh, being a church planter or sending someone out, onwardchurchplanting.org. Okay. Where you can find out about that. Awesome. Well, I think that's all we have. Uh, thank you so much for being here, for being with us today. Yeah, it's so been great. honored. Thanks, thanks for asking. Thanks, man. We appreciate yeah. it. It's been great. Thanks for giving us insight, pulling back the curtain, and um, allowing us to uh, just take a sneak peek into your life and what it looks like. Thank you. Yeah. That was a great interview with Dave. What What did you think about it, Mark? What were your thoughts? Yeah, it was great. He's um, uh, He is so excited and so personal. And with what he's done at Ethos over the last uh, decade, 12 years, uh, it's been really unique. It's been unique uh, in many ways. Um, One, just how he has been able, he and the staff and the team there have been able to think outside the box and how to reach people Mm -hmm. and that come from different demographics who normally may show up in church. Mm -hmm. And um, just in how they have um, really started and planted the church and chosen to do so uh, without their own building. You know, Um, that's one thing, just being a part of that church family now for about a decade that uh, for a lot of people who come in for the first time and they walk into church in a bar, mm-hmm. um, they're like, wow, this is very, uh, very unique in a way to, um, you know, the, just the way in which they operate, mm-hmm. um, in a low budget in that way, but in a w- they're utilizing space that is not being utilized on a Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah. That, that struck me too. Another thing is just, yeah, his humility, his disciplines that we talked about. And, you know, Dave is somebody who loves his family well mm-hmm. and is a good friend. You know, he said one thing that really stood out to me. He said, you only learn what's inside of you when you're crushed. Mm. And, um, and that, that, that is so true. And he has been, and that just is part of his ministry as the lead teacher there at Ethos, but I know that um, he's poured into me during times of my life when that's been the case, and uh, so he walks that out as well. All right, Taryn, how about you? What else did you uh, take away and remember from our chat with Dave? I There are so many things to take away from that chat. Um, I just I love how family-oriented he is. All of them are extroverts, which I don't know how I would deal with that, but um, he just he's always going, and he's always got something going on with uh, with onward and uh, awakening I I'm just so impressed with who he is and how he deals with people and he meets them where they are and I think that that's a trait that not a lot of people have anymore is just building those relationships and making those really strong I think that's really cool yeah and I remember after the interview you were really blown away by him having a flip phone yes yeah, I was like, how after, and especially him having an iPhone first and then getting a flip phone yeah. recently, like. Yeah, like four years ago. Yeah, four years ago, yeah. which I think is so cool. It was really funny, um, him showing you how he texts on your flip phone and your reaction yeah. to that. That was great. So. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so that's a wrap for this episode of It Takes a Village. Thank you for being with us today. If you've been part of this from the beginning, uh, you know where to find it. But if this is your first time listening, 
Go back and listen to those other episodes. And hey, give, do us a favor. Subscribe, rate, review uh, on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. And if you want to find out more about us at Healing Hands International, you can follow us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. And um, you can go to our website and learn more as well. So, uh, well, that's it. That's a wrap, yeah, Taryn. That's all. That was awesome. Another episode in the books. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you all for listening. See you next time. Bye. Na, na, na.